Let's pray as we look at these probably familiar words for many of us. Let's pray that the Lord would speak to us afresh this morning. Some words from last week. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Lord, we pray this morning this would be an opportunity for us to sit at your feet and to listen to what you say. Feed us, change us, inspire us, shape us, teach us by your word, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before we jump in, I want to make three broad observations. You'll have to forgive me, they're three R's. But they're observations and things that have hit me this week. Um, they may be very familiar and very obvious to you, but they're things that just for different reasons have, have struck me afresh. And the first one is this is a revolutionary prayer. I guess that sounds obvious in one sense, and it may not feel particularly revolutionary, but I wonder if it particularly is for a time like this. What do I mean? Um, in a relativistic world, this is a prayer that is incredibly exclusive. It's almost offensively exclusive. We are, Jesus says, to, to pray to the God of the Bible and to call him Father. And as we pray to him as Father, we are praying for his name to be lifted up, for his kingdom to come at the expense of all other names and kingdoms. All other rivals, whether political, whether ideological, whether national, whether personal, Jesus says there is one more important than all the other names, or more important than my little kingdom, or your little kingdom, and any other kingdom, whether big or little, in this world, which I think in our kind of culture is pretty offensive. Or second half of the prayer, verse 3 and 4. In a world that says, actually, you can achieve anything that you want, and you are all right, actually, and, and you just do you, never mind what anybody else says. Jesus says, no, no, you are weak, and you are little, and you can't provide for yourself. And you need a Father in heaven to provide for you. And actually, you're not all right, actually. There is a thing called sin. And so there is a thing called forgiveness. And you can't just do you. There are rights and wrongs and moral standards. And so there are temptations. Indeed, we'll see there is a tempter. And I reckon when you think about it, that is pretty offensive. If you were to chat to your colleagues or your family who didn't know Jesus, who weren't, wouldn't call themselves Christians, they might know the prayer, but if you dig down into what it means, it's revolutionary. It's a prayer that is honest about how big God is and how little we are how dependent upon him we are. Praying this kind of prayer is a revolutionary act. The second one is about relationship, second R. You could pair it up with last week's passage. It's why I began by praying what I did. Do you remember last week, Martha, Martha, Jesus has compassion on her. She is distracted. She is flustered by all the work that needs to do. And we said, when we stop listening to the voice of Jesus, our service for him goes wrong. When we stop listening to his voice, we just get overwhelmed by all the stuff we're meant to do for him. 
And there's this internal resentment and bitterness because we've stopped listening. We've stopped listening to the voice that really matters. That was last week. And so this week, it's the other half of the coin. It's, if last week is God speaking to us, this week is us speaking to him. It's a relationship. Not as a burden, not as, oh, something else I have to do. You're going to make me speak to God now, are you? But a joy. We get to be honest and open and real and, and pour our hearts out to the Lord and, and go to our Father for our needs. In any relationship, you will know that communication matters. When communication dies up, the relationship goes wrong. And so again, where Luke is kind of zooming in on something of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to follow him to the cross from 9 verse 51 onwards, while so we're thinking about discipleship and there can be no discipleship without relationship, and so there can be no discipleship without communication. We're to be those who pray. It's a revolutionary relationship, and it's real. That is, this is a prayer. It's not just a bunch of words that we're going to kind of study and analyse. It's a prayer to be prayed. And we will analyse it, and we will study it, and try and work out what's going on. And we'll do that now, and we'll do it in home groups. But, but more than that stuff... If there's one application from this morning, it is pray the Lord's Prayer more. That's the application. We're doing this so we can grow in our prayer lives. So we'll be those who pray it and we'll be those who'll be shaped by it because we will understand the kind of things we ought to be praying for. And whoever you are, however long you've been following Jesus, this is, I think this is a prayer for the journey. Whether you're a brand new Christian, whether you've been a Christian for decades and decades. This is a prayer for the journey. Apparently Martin Luther, the reformer, said, at the end of his life, he said, To this day I suckle at the Lord's prayer like a child, and as an old man eat and drink from it and never get my fill. So whether you are just in the starting blocks and just getting going, or whether you're rounding the final bend, this is still a prayer for you and for me. Let's have a look down. Jesus um, teaches them because he has been praying and his disciples then want to be taught to pray like John the Baptist disciples taught, like John the Baptist taught his disciples. And for this morning, we're going to treat it into a, as a prayer of two halves. Um, the first half is kind of looking up to God. That's verse 2. Almost like the first five of the Ten Commandments, addressing him, how we relate to him. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then the second half, verse three and four, is more about us as his children. Again, almost like the second half of the Ten Commandments, the, the horizontal addressing our daily needs. It's give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. It's a, it's a corporate prayer as we're praying on the horizontal in the second half. But first half, first verse two, a father who governs, is my point. When you pray, say, Father. And you might know the word he uses for father is Abba which carries both a, a respect and an honour, but also a tenderness and an intimacy. 
It's not an either-or, it's a both-and. It's more respectful than daddy, and it's kind of more intimate than father. And yet, and yet, don't miss how outrageous that is. It's so familiar, isn't it? But it is outrageous. The, the creator of the universe, the ageless and eternal one, the unchanging one who has always been, the sovereign Lord, the omnipotent ruler, the one high over all and... We get to call him Father. It's probably right at about that point just to put him to a lay-by, though. Because for many, the language of Father will be complicated. And we need to acknowledge that. It may bring up all kinds of bad memories. (laughs) Maybe your earthly father has been unreasonable or unreliable or absent or mean or unkind or or even abusive and you're thinking Jesus I'm not sure I can use that word as you teach me to pray if I can put it this way I, I wonder if the reason that we get so angry about unreasonable, unreliable absent, mean, unkind, abusive fathers or even just imperfect fathers is because there's something fundamental in us that knows that is not what fathers are meant to be like. God the Father made the world. Fundamentally, we are made to know him. And so when our our earthly fathers get it wrong, so we know there is something profoundly wrong with that. And that is why it hurts so much. The reason it hurts is because they are meant to reflect our Father in heaven. And can I say, if that is you, chat to somebody this week or chat to somebody over coffee about it. Maybe be brave and bring it up at home group. If, if you struggle with that word as you pray, then maybe take, take that step and talk to somebody about it. But actually more than that, go to God and pour out your heart to him and ask him to help you uh, redefine fatherhood around him rather than the imperfect father that we all have. Let's be honest. They'll all be on a spectrum and a scale. But all earthly fathers are imperfect. So maybe ask him to, to help you redefine this idea of fatherhood around your father in heaven who is good and kind and generous and perfect. And it's striking its father as well, isn't it? It's, he's a perfect father, so it's secure. This is not business, this is family. And that's really important. Again, in our kind of natural flesh, it's really alien. In a business relationship, however much you like that boss, however much you have a good relationship and you get on with them, and you are still their employee. And if you make a big enough mistake, if you have a bad enough week, Well, there may be a letter on your desk saying, thank you very much for your service. Uh, Please find a new place to work. But for the believer, we pray to our Father. It's permanent. He is committed. He is good. He is kind. He is generous. Even on our very worst week as a Christian, even at your lowest moments, you still get to call him Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Again, that makes it very unnatural 
a kind of prayer for us to pray because it's the heart of a person whose life has been turned upside down. We've realised we are not the centre of the universe. It is not all about you or about me. It's about him and his name and his kingdom. And that is really hard for us to learn that because we have to unlearn so much. From day one, we are selfish and it is about us. You don't need to teach children to, to share. Sorry, to stop sharing, please. You don't need to teach your children to stop being so kind to your, with your toys, please. And you need to teach them to share and to be kind. Because there is something in us, an innate desire that means we look after number one naturally. But, but following Jesus means we realise the world doesn't revolve around us anymore. It revolves around him. And so it's your name be hallowed. It's your kingdom come. But again, however long we've been a Christian, there will be something in us that will still struggle with that. This still matters because functionally for us, God can be something of a, a life mechanic that... You go to when stuff gets bad. Or if not a life mechanic even, then a sugar daddy who he gives you the nice things. If you press the right buttons and you do the right stuff, then you'll get what you want. Which means something's gone wrong. And so this structure really matters. This first half looking up, this first half of vertical is important. Before he jumps in and prays for good things, for needs, for protection, for forgiveness, all legitimate prayers, he looks up first. And yet isn't it easy to come to God with our wants as, as our main thing, as our first thing? Right, Lord, we better pray. Uh, here's my list for today, thank you very much. I'll work down it in alphabetical order. They may be good wants, they may be wants that matter, they may be wants that please him, they may be wants that are in our hearts and good things for us to take to him. And we will see that we, we can do that. But when we go with them first, maybe it shows that we're still at the centre in some sense. And so we're to pray, hallowed be your name. Names. Names meant more then than they often do now. Names then were important. So, do you remember, Jesus renamed Simon Cephas, Rock. And indeed, the early church will grow and flourish on that rock, in one sense. Or, or Ruth, as a name in the, in the Bible, means friend. And the book of Ruth unfolds, and we see that she is a friend. And names reveal not just what somebody is called, but what they're like. Which means when Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name, it's not like uh, this name of God is magical, in some sense. A name that you must not take for granted. Be careful with the name. It's more to do with who the name is about, his character, and, and what he's done in the world. And we say, hallowed be your name, and it's not just that we're telling God something that he already knows, it's... it's is that it would be respected and honoured as holy as it ought to be. First and foremost in your life, little picture, the nooks and crannies of who you are, that his name might be hallowed in you and in me. But then from there it kind of flows out that 
hallowed be your name in you then becomes hallowed be your name around me and in society and the world around us and big picture. Lord, would your name be treated as it ought to be treated in the world around us? Father, hallowed be your name. In all the darkness of me and the darkness of our worlds, Lord, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. See, he's not just a father. He's a king with a kingdom. And some of us get a bit twitchy there thinking, can we cope with... We live in a democracy. We can, we can sort of cope with Charles because he doesn't do very much. But are we okay with that sort of absolute monarchy rule? Is that, is that okay to pray for kings and kingdoms? And when you see that sort of government around the world, it generally doesn't go very well, does it? It's not a great place to live often. Of course, it comes down to the kind of king that you have and what the king is like. And do you remember, we've seen in previous weeks, Jesus is the kind of king who is going to die in Jerusalem because his time to be taken up to heaven has come and he will pour himself out for his people. He's a king who loves. He's a, the good Samaritan who, who pours himself out for us first. And then we go and do likewise. And anyway, the kind of kingdom is not external military rule. It's internal hearts that submit. It's beautiful. Hearts that bow to him. And when we begin our prayers by praying those kinds of things, eyes up, look to him. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Then it's not that our anxieties and our stresses just disappear. That, that's not the way it works. But maybe they shrink a bit. Because next to him and his glory, and they had just got so big, suddenly they just look a bit smaller. A bit less scary. And our priorities and our perspectives seem to get sorted. And what seemed to be enormous and stressful suddenly next to this kind of king, hallowed be your name, just feels like it's shrunk a bit. So a father who governs, nothing is too big to pray for in that sense. Second half, well nothing is too little to pray for either because it's a father who gives. And suddenly, it all gets very tomorrow morning. And you're trying to get up and out and on with your life. And, and you've got these needs and these things. And our Father in Heaven says, come to me for those. I can help you there. We'll see he's a Father who provides and he pardons and he protects. Give us each day our daily bread. Pardon the pun. For many, that's quite a hard line to swallow, though, isn't it? Praying for our daily bread. It's hard because we're a dependent people, and, and in our pride, we, we don't necessarily deal well with that. We, we would rather go it alone. We would rather be the sort of shouty, shouty toddler who, who thinks they can do it by themselves, thank you. I can manage, I can manage, I can manage. And there are problems in life, and our first port of call is well, looking in and trying harder rather than going to him. And then you exhaust all the other options and you suddenly go, oh, why didn't I pray first? 
all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So it's hard because we're proud. It's hard as well because of our context in the West and so many of our cupboards are pretty full and our supermarkets have lots of stuff on the shelves and there is plenty and brothers and sisters around the world will feel this very differently. But in the West, in affluent Oxford, we can miss it. We don't think God's got that much to do with the food on our table, really. I just went out and bought it and popped it in the microwave. What do you mean? But actually, even for us, God is providing what we need. Often it's through the, the work and the labour of others. One of the, um, the difficulties with children getting older is you don't get to enjoy the, those favourite kids' books that you used to. You have to kind of sneak up when they're asleep now and read them. Um, there was a great one that I think we still stored it in our house. I was going to bring it, but I forgot this morning, called Eric Says Thanks. Um, and Eric starts off the book by saying to his mum, Mum, thanks a, bazil- a gazillion for my toast. My brekkie was yum. There he is in the morning, got his toast. Thanks a gazillion. What a nice child, eh? Yeah, thanks to his mum anyway. And what she does is she sends him off. You go to see the baker and say thanks to the baker. And the baker sends him off to, to Dan the flour delivery man. Good name. And then he goes to the miller who grinds the wheat. And then he sends him to Farmer Pete. And what does Pete do? Ha, Farmer Pete points him to God who sends the sun and the rain to grow the wheat. And we don't know our bakers or our millers or our farmers or probably even our Sainsbury's delivery men or women. But we do know our God who gives the raw materials. Who provides our daily bread. And the daily word is an interesting one. It basically means give us what we need for the very near future. It's quite an unusual word. It's not the distant future. It's not six months ahead so I can cram it in the freezer and get stuff ready. No, it's an everyday prayer for the immediate, for each and every step of the way. And you look ahead to the next month and you think, Goodness, how are we going to get through that with so many needs and wants and uncertainties? I suspect for the disciples, you kind of hope they're ringing bells for the journey to the promised land. And the daily sustenance coming as manna, bread from heaven. Now, you can't keep it overnight unless it's for the Sabbath. You've got to trust God each and every morning for it. And that feels a way removed from us, doesn't it? But you look ahead at the month ahead and you think, are we going to get through that? Is he going to turn up and provide what we need? And for the people in the wilderness, it wasn't flashy and at times it wasn't what they wanted. They were after exotic food and cucumbers and that kind of stuff. And and did they trust him? Not really. Again and again and again and again they got it wrong. And do we trust him? Again and again and again, we can get it wrong, can't we? We, we, Despite his kindness in providing for us in the past, we struggle to trust him for the next step. And we still worry and we, we still struggle to keep our eyes fixed on him. And we still want to be in control of our circumstances and just kind of puppet master things so everything will be all right. And It might not be where the next meal is coming from, but it might be the house for the future or the job or friendships or money or or, or you fill in the gap for you at the moment. 
but we can pray, give us each day our daily bread. Because ours is a God who loves to give. It is part of his character. It is part of his nature. It is part of his name, perhaps, even. He's a God who gave his only son. He's a God who will provide what we need, whatever that is in your context. There will be much more on that next week. Stay around for that. So we're to pray in humble dependence to our Father that he would provide what we need. And, and we couldn't survive without that, but then secondly, we couldn't survive without forgiveness either. We couldn't survive without pardon. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who sins against us. If there's a daily prayer for daily bread, there's a daily prayer, I take it for forgiveness as well. It's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime forever prayer. But it's an every morning prayer too, or an every evening, or both. Why? Because of the ongoing reality of our sin. And so the ongoing sorrow for our sin. An ongoing reminder that we need Christ to forgive us. An ongoing reminder that only he can provide it. Because finally it's only through Christ and his taking our sin upon the cross that that forgiveness can come, that we can be cleansed. But he doesn't stop there. Second half of verse 4 is a problem for us, isn't it? For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. A while ago I came across a story by the author Robert Louis Stevenson. He tells the story of two unmarried sisters, um, spinsters, sharing a single room together. And as I'm told sisters do, um, they had an argument. And it was a bitter argument. And it was the kind of argument where you never speak to your sister again. And yet, for whatever reason, maybe they didn't have much money, maybe they were that innate fear of scandal, they continued to live together in the same room. So as I think siblings do, they drew a line of chalk across. You can't come onto my side. Two separate domains, two separate kingdoms. And for years they coexist in hateful silence. Just imagine it at night. You're going to sleep and you hear the other one breathing. You hear the snores of your enemy. And they continued that way for the rest of their lives. They attended church. I take it they would be compelled to say the Lord's Prayer. But maybe they didn't truly mean it. Because it ought to have brought reconciliation. Forgive us our sins, for we also have forgiven everyone who sins against us. And it sounds silly. What a silly story. What silly sisters. Holding a grudge for that long. We wouldn't do that, would we? I take it physically you wouldn't live in the same room with a chalk up the middle but we do kind of avoid people it's easier just to kind of keep them at arm's length and sort of turn the other cheek from a distance have nothing to do with them but I'm not sure the Lord's Prayer allows us to do that and Matt He's not in the room. Um, provided me with a quote uh, a couple of weeks ago from Tim Keller. 
um, a great pastor and author, many of you will be aware of. He died a couple of weeks ago. I want to be with the Lord. I think in many ways a great example. But he said this on this little bit of the Lord's Prayer. He said, to lack a forgiving spirit is to call into question whether we have known God's forgiveness. Isn't that stark? So I should have given a health warning in advance. To, to lack a forgiving spirit is to call into question whether we have known God's forgiveness. You see, just as with the Good Samaritan, we, we receive the grace and mercy first, and then we're to be those who go and do likewise. Well, so here, we receive forgiveness for our sins, and then we're to be those who go and do likewise. Maybe you need to not put it off any longer and go and be reconciled with someone. That might be hard, that might be complicated, that might not be a straightaway thing or a for now thing. But maybe that's something that ought to be somewhere on your radar that you're praying through. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Seems to me forgiveness comes as much more of a package than we would sometimes like. We, we need it from him, but then we're to be the kind of community, the kind of people who share it with each other. And finally, it's protect. Lead us not into temptation. I, I'm going to be quick here. One of the things I've been wrestling with recently is so often I think my eyes are just closed or I'm half asleep to the reality of the spiritual battle that we're in. It's just not really on my radar as it ought to be. But it seems Jesus won't have us be blind to that spiritual battle. Back in Luke 4, Jesus, remember, he goes off to the wilderness, taken there by the devil, and he is described as being the tempter in Luke 4. And again, just as the, the wilderness generation, hundreds of years before, were tempted and drawn off, so Jesus calls us to to pray against the tempter. Lead us not into temptation. He loves to disrupt us. He loves to draw us away from Jesus. He loves to sow seeds of grumbling and discontent and division. And he loves for us to stop speaking for Jesus and living for Jesus. He loves to tempt us and draw us away. And I guess you know you. You know your tendencies, your weaknesses, your propensity to drift away. And so if you were the tempter, if you were the devil, how would you take you down? What would you do? What would be your tactic to take you down? might not be a big thing, it might just be a little incremental thing. One percent at a time. What would your tactic be? How would you tempt you? Well, Jesus says, pray that you would not be led into temptation. That you would not find yourself in tempt temptation. And so dragged away from him. So I think whether you're in reception or whether you're in retirement, if such a thing exists with a Christian, this prayer is a prayer for you. And it is a prayer for me. It is a prayer that is to shape our journey, to shape our prayer life, to shape us 
as believers, each and every step of the way. One writer said, it's comparatively easy to repeat the words of the Lord's Prayer like a parrot. You will know that. But to pray them with sincerity, however, has revolutionary implications. So what do we do? We go big picture. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Not not my name, not my kingdom. Not this kingdom, but your kingdom. My life is about you. And we get that perspective first. And then it's on to the Monday morning needs. It's on to provision, daily bread, daily necessities, the thing that is stressing you out at the moment. Will God provide this? So it's provision, it's pardon, it's daily forgiveness from him and to others. And then it's protection. Lord, guard us from temptation, guard us from drift, that we might live for you. And one day when you come back, we will see you face to face. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, so much in this prayer for us. We we pray that we wouldn't just have a better idea of it or have analysed it or understand it a bit better, but that you would help us this week and beyond to be those who pray increasingly as Jesus taught us. We thank you that we can come to you as Father. Thank you we'll see more next week of what that means. But thank you that it's family, not business. We pray that your name and your kingdom would grow in us and through us. Remind us that our life is not about us, but it's about you. This world is not about us, it's about you. And then help us to come to you for our daily needs. Thank you that you provide. We do particularly pray that for the Brittendons in this season, but many others in the room as well, facing complexity, facing uncertainties. We thank you that you pardon us, you forgive us our sins, but we we pray that you would help us to be those who forgive others. Help us not to be like those sisters. And we pray that you would protect us, open our eyes to the reality of the spiritual battle that we're in, and so guard us from temptation, we pray. Guard us from drift. when you return, Lord Jesus, we might see you face to face. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.